so many crazy stories about so many crazy people today on this podcast. Pretty much all of them, I wouldn't expect you to believe it unless you heard them or unless I directed you to where you could actually see it. We're going to get to the crazy stories here in a minute. I don't even know if we're going to have enough time for even a fraction of all the crazy stories that are lining up, begging for attention. Crazy stories of black hostility, black crime, black violence, wildly out of proportion. Crazy stories about how reporters and public officials are in denial, deceit, and delusion about it. Why don't we start, instead of the crazy, why don't we start with somebody who might be the only sane person in America right now? Well, her or me, and I'm not too sure about you guys, she and I. Her name's Bevelyn Beatty. Bevelyn Beatty is a lovely lady, a black woman, a God-fearing woman, church-going woman in New York City. She doesn't like Black Lives Matter. She doesn't like people who attack the police. She doesn't like black criminals. She thinks Black Lives Matter is one big con game, a hoax. A dangerous con game and hoax. So she answered the question that a lot of us ask all the time. Hey, what can we do? How can I make a difference? Or, the question I hate, uh, which I like to hear that question, the question I hate hearing is when people ask about other people. Well, Colin, when are are they, when are the conservatives going to step up and do something? When are we going to step up and do something? No. There is no we. There's just you deciding what you are going to do. Deciding how much you can do. That's all there is. No, you're not allowed to sit around and go, I'm waiting for an army to come along so I can be the one millionth person to join the army. Well, when you get to the army of one million, we don't need you anymore. So here's what Beverly Beatty of New York City did. She decided she could not put up with the indignity, the insult, the offensive thing painted in front of Trump Tower in New York City. Black Lives Matter in, in street-sized letters painted right on the street. Beverly is actually not even the first person to do this, but she went up there with a can of paint And she started slashing the paint all over the big yellow letters, Black Lives Matter. And while she was doing it, she was giving us a running commentary. Let's listen to about 30 seconds of that. And then we're going to hear the the surprising punchline. So Beverly Ann Beatty got arrested. Surprise, surprise. Uh, actually, when she was getting arrested, one of the cops slipped in her paint and uh, 
kind of fell down, looked like he was in a little bit of pain. Anyway, so they take her to jail. When she got to jail, they said the cops treated her like a queen. I think a lot of people were giving her the old nod, nod, wink, wink. Good job, Bevelin, we're with you. But we got to go through this little kabuki dance because, well, that's our job. To book you, to take you in front of a judge. That's what happened. She got let out. Okay, you ready for this? Remember, I want you to remember this story the next time you're looking at somebody else and wondering what they're going to do. No, I want you to ask that. I want you to go to the mirror and ask that question right in the mirror. What am I going to do? What about Bevelyn Beatty? You know what she did when she got out of jail? She went and got some more paint and she went and spread the paint on more streets that were painted with that abomination, publicly approved abomination that said Black Lives Matter. She did it two more times, once in Harlem. Good Lord, where do people get this courage, nerve, stones, conviction, determination? She changed the world. She changed the world. Just with a little can of paint and a little gumption. Isn't that all of our challenge? And when she changed the world, she came out and did it again. And again, that woman's a hero. Maybe not all of us are cut out to be heroes. Maybe not all of us are cut out to take a bucket of paint and get arrested in front of a bunch of cops in New York City while trashing black lives matter maybe maybe not but i'll tell you this there's a lot of people all over the country doing it remember that couple in martinez california they're now charged with a hate crime for blotting out the words black lives matter as many of them as they could and there's that couple in st louis who decided they were going to confront a mob of angry black people with an ar-15 and a handgun because the fellas and lovely ladies in that mob had broken into their private development and were threatening to burn their house down and kill their dog. Now they are under investigation for brandishing a weapon and trying to do everything they could to protect each other and their home. So there are green shoots all over the place. If we accept the narrative of the press that nobody is out there resisting this, well, that would be a, a wrong narrative. There's a lot of people resisting this big and small. Some people are paying a price for it. Some people are paying a price they had no idea they were about to pay because they probably had not read White Girl Bleed A Lot and Don't Make the Black Kids Angry. They probably didn't know what happens when you go into a quote-unquote diversity seminar of any kind and when you raise your hand and you just totally disagree with the whole premise that there is relentless black victimization, relentless white racism all the time, everywhere. That explains everything. If you disagree with that, your ass is grass. I don't know how many times I could tell you this. I don't know how many stories I can give you about teachers getting fired for raising their hands and very gently disagreeing with the courageous conversation seminars where they're basically saying, no, I'm not a racist. 
Oh no, those teachers are not invited to return to that school for the next school year, if indeed they even make it out of that school week. So here we have a huge company, same deal, Cisco. I guess Cisco's that big computer corporation that makes things, sells things to other computer companies that you and I don't really understand that well. Here's the headline from ZeroHedge.com. Cisco fires employees that question Black Lives Matter during company-wide racism discussion. In early June, says the story by Tyler Durden, in early June, dutifully doing its part to virtual signal, Cisco, Cisco Systems hosted an all-hands-on-deck meeting on race, hosted on video conference. In the comments of the online forum, visible to everyone, some workers questioned the Black Lives Matter involvement and were subsequently fired from their job, proving once again that you can have an opinion as long as it is the right opinion. And it goes on to talk about who was there. CEO Chuck Robbins talked with Ford Foundation President Dara Walker, a fella, and, and Brian Stevenson, another fella. He started an initiative called the Equal Justice Initiative during the company's June 1 meeting in front of 30,000 employees. Several people spoke out online against Black Lives Matter during the online forums. For example, one employee wrote, Quote, black lives don't matter, all lives matter. While another wrote, black lives matter reinforces racism. A third employee commented, people who complain about racism have been a racist somewhere else to people from another race or part of systematic oppression in their own community. Cisco said it fired a handful of workers. It also won't tolerate uh, racism anywhere, it said. Uh, some lawyer at a place called Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, under law. I think I've seen her, a black woman. I think I've seen her on TV a bunch of times. Employers should be striving for zero tolerance when it comes to racism and discrimination. The process we've seen in the streets have become part of our new normal and will eventually make their way in, inside the workplace if employers fail to meet the moments. Cisco said there were 237 comments made out of 10,000 who object that these comments objected to what was being presented, while the majority of comments praised management. And during the call, Cisco's CEO announced a $5 million donation to groups combating racism. Cisco's executive vice president and chief people officer said, quote, I just felt sad to see it. I felt a ton of empathy. I know that for African-Americans and black employees that were in the meeting, that it was heartbreaking to see that. She tried to, then she tried to backtrack and justify the firings because they were not considered legitimate debate. You have a framework where, where red absolutely is crossing the line. But if someone has a question or they don't understand something, there's a way for them to ask that question. We went through and just placed things on that spectrum. The remarks were so offensive. They were, quote, seared in the minds of some black employees, according to Bloomberg. 
One employee commented, wow, these people work at Cisco? If they are bold enough to say those things at work for all to see, imagine what they're saying behind closed doors. Zero Hedge chimes in, yeah, it could be differing opinions. Wow, isn't that amazing? They fired a whole bunch of people just for disagreeing at a public forum. But had you read Don't Make the Black Kids Angry and White Girl Bleed a Lot, you would know what the drill is. You sit down, you shut up, you get through the meeting. Look, if you want to, if you don't like working at Cisco or wherever you happen to work, be working and you want to get fired, I guess that's as good as way as any. My own personal preference would be to go in and tell the boss to go F himself, I quit. Take this job and shove it. But I don't think the people who were posting their little brainiac comments knew what they were doing. They didn't know the unbelievable, small-minded, petty-mindedness petty and mean-spiritedness of the people who support Black Lives Matter, like their own CEO, like their own director of HR. They didn't know the jeopardy they were placing themselves in and their family's future in. Look, if you want to quit your job, go ahead. I just, I just say you do it on your terms when you want. Not because some fool from Black Lives Matter suckered you into revealing that you actually don't believe in the greatest lie of our generation, the hoax of black victimization and white racism that explains everything all the time, everywhere. And so that brings us back to the question that Bevelyn Beatty asked in the last segment. What can I do? What can I do? She took a bucket of paint and spread it on the sidewalk. These guys put some comments on a board that only their fellow employees would see. They got fired. I'd rather have you keep your job and support the people who are able to do this stuff without worrying about some fool in the next cubicle turning us in. Capiche? Now, maybe you high-tech workers are just a bunch of nomads. You can be in Cisco one day, Google the next, YouTube the next, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, the next. I don't know. But if that's the case, okay, good. Put all your stuff you want up on all your message boards you want. I'd rather you stayed in there, kept your eyes open, told us about what's going on with these seminars, these phone calls. I'd rather you figured out a way to set up a little bit of guerrilla warfare inside of your company. I'd rather you support those of us who are able to fight back because we built our lives in a way that no fool working at Cisco can get us fired. Listen, we're in a war now, okay? Uh, we're in a war. The fellas and lovely ladies declared a war on us a long time ago. All I'm saying is, listen, I know there's war, there is casualties. I know people are going to be hurt on a lot of different levels. I know white people are being hurt now by this incredible level of violence where that war is taking place. The war targeting white people and their homes and their cars on the streets. We're going to hear more about that now. The war that leaves violent crime so wildly out of proportion. I get that. But the war is also taking place inside of your workplace. We just don't want, we don't want to give the enemy, the enemies of peace, the enemies of free expression, 
the enemies of racial harmony. And that's what Black Lives Matter is. We don't want to give them ammunition to kill us, hurt us. Don't give them the ammo. They'll find it on their own. But here's another story about a company-wide call, except this has kind of been an unlikely place. Now, let's consider the source of this story, the Daily Beast, which is uniformly hostile to Fox News, uniformly hostile to Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram. But uh, they just did a story here that, that talked about how at Fox News, all the black employees a couple weeks ago, they got together and they had a big conference call with the CEO, who's white, and with the, the head of HR, or no, no this, she's not head of HR. She's head of like diversity and inclusion. So they had her on the call. And these are Fox News. These are the black employees at Fox News. And apparently they were all ups- Well, let me just read a paragraph or two. Then we're going to talk about who from Fox News is particularly upset. Here's the headline. A heated early call between... A heated early June call between Fox execs and black staffers was just the beginning of an internal revolt against racism at the network, insiders told the Daily Beast. Here's the first line. Four days after Fox aired a particularly tone-deaf graphic connecting the killings of black men to stock market gains, Many of the network's black staffers took part in a phone call with company brass to confront Fox's increasingly racist and hostile rhetoric toward the protests against racial brutality. Did not go well. It was almost immediately rife with tension. One staffer asked why Brett Baer wasn't there. Brett Baer said he was sorry about that graphic. He was really, really sorry. Fox Business Network host Charles Payne, who is black. Okay, you can picture Charles Payne. You ever watch Fox Business? He's um, He makes an appearance on the Fox, the sister station Fox regular news once in a while. Charles Payne, he's a, let's just say he's a, he's a big fellow. He's fat, okay? You'll recognize him when you see him. You're, you go, man, there's nobody else on TV that looks like that. And when I see him on TV, I usually admire his reporting i like his business stories i think he's actually has a company where you know he i think he owns a some kind of investment company complete with clients where they're putting money down to win or lose on the roulette wheel called the stock market and every once in a while charles Payne will come in there and will remind everybody about freedom and free enterprise and how great it is socialism how much it sucks high tax is bad low tax is good Regulation bad, low regulation good. And so that's why this next paragraph was a particular surprise to me because, you know, Charles Payne, his story is, of course, he came out of the ghetto. And something touched this kid at an early age where he was fascinated with the stock market, fascinated with all these investment bankers, and he got into that racket. The next thing you know, he's on the Fox Business Network. So here we go. They're talking about Charles Payne. According to multiple people who attended the call, uh, Payne had talked previously talked to one of the muckety mucks, and Payne was rip shit about the Bayer graphic debacle and about racist remarks 
that Laura Ingram had recently made on the air. At one point on the June 9th call, an irate Payne suggested he had been the victim of racial discrimination, repeatedly passed over for opportunities given instead to white colleagues. You know, Payne's kind of lucky to be working there right now. I think about a year or two ago, there was a big story about Payne, how he was booking guests. And one of the guests he was booking, he was, uh, he was screwing her, okay? And when this guest decided she had run the gauntlet enough to be on Fox as a legitimate guest, and she didn't want to screw Charles Payne anymore for the honor of being on Fox because she was so good, that was plain to see, apparently. She told Charles Payne she did not want to give him that good thing, that jelly roll anymore. Charles Payne said, great, you're not going to be on Fox anymore. Yeah, that was a lawsuit that was filed. That was a lawsuit that was made public. So there's Charles Payne, who, I don't know. I mean, when you see Charles Payne, do you immediately say, yeah, he should have his own show. He, we should kick Tucker Carlson off. We should kick Sean Hannity off. We should kick Laura Ingram off. We should kick my girl, Shannon Bream, off. I mean, where are we going to put Charles Payne? I mean, are the people in there? I mean, it's kind of like Obama on that basketball team in Hawaii when he was in high school. He looks back on it, remembering that the coach didn't make, he didn't start on his basketball team because the coach didn't like the way Obama played black. So Charles Payne, I mean, where would we put you in the schedule? Who are you better than? You know, Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams talk about how racism is economically inefficient. If they're holding you down, Charles Payne, because of race, and they give somebody else a slot, like Bill Hemmer, he took over for Shepard Smith. They're still trying to figure who's going to take over for uh, Ed Henry. He had the 9 o'clock slot with Susan Smith, I think her name is. I mean, if... You could do a better job than anybody in there right now. That means the people at Fox are losing money because of their racism. So you're saying they're making bad business decisions because they're blinded by your race that prevents them to seeing your true talent that everybody on the, else on the planet can plainly see. Yeah, we call that being delusional. Anyway, there's Payne. apparently Charles Payne was super pissed off about the killing of a California rapper and the anti-gang activist Nipsey Hussle. How can he? How can t- Charles Payne talk to his children about Fox News? The host wondered when it portrays people like Hussle in racist, stereotypical manner as a gangsta. <laughs> oh man, who's doing the stereotyping in the music videos? Who's portraying the fellas as hyper-violent, only concerned with guns, drugs, money, bitches, and murder? Who's doing that? Fox News? Tucker Carlson? Laura Ingram? I don't know why white teenage kids are so enamored of these images of black anarchy, crime, mayhem, and dysfunction, but they are. They love listening to the music about it. They love watching videos about it. One of the people that are particularly pissed off is Tucker Carlson. Because Tucker Carlson just recently had to fire his writer who's making some stupid, posting stupid things on a anonymous message board. Anyway, I guess they wanted Tucker to get down on his hands and knees and beg forgiveness. 
and and now over the last couple days, there's been a lot of Fox personalities that I follow on Twitter. They're posting a story from Variety that says uh, Harrison, I think it's Harris Faulkner. Harris Faulkner. She's the tall, elegant, um, a black woman who's usually hosts the Five, and she hosts a TV show after the Five. No, not the Five. Uh, outnumbered. That's an, that's on at noon. So Variety did a big story about Harrison Faulkner. I'm sure that's not her. I'm sure that's not the exact thing of her name. But I actually like her. I liked her because notice the uh, went past tense there. I kind of liked her because I always thought she played it straight. I didn't think she was. You know, I didn't think she felt like she was a member of some super tribe that whose interests she was sworn to protect. I mean, that's what's happening in this Fox newsroom there, right? All the black people have suddenly, not, or not suddenly, have decided that they are going to be the gatekeepers in their newsrooms about how black people are portrayed on their news and in their opinion shows. And there, so this, either this weekend or next weekend, the big variety article was about how Harrison is going to be hosting one of these shows, uh, an hour-long show on a Sunday night, where we're going to have a conversation about race. It's going to be real and raw. Come on. I mean, all right, I'm going to break my rule here by not stating the obvious. How many times have we been promised real conversations about race raw conversation totally honest when the only thing you get is what you get in every other one of these shows every other one from every one of these talking heads all the time which is relentless black victimization relentless white racism and now people are out there saying yeah you got it has guts to say what everybody else is saying i mean that's i mean that's it so Harrison Faulkner is going to just let herself be put in this electronic ghetto where she's going to be carrying water for all the black issues, whatever the hell that means, at Fox News. That's it. How, I thought she had more sense than that. It's, but here, I, but I, you know, here's one of the things I like doing on this podcast and on all my stuff, really, is just trying to find a slightly larger point from the story that we happen to be looking at at the moment. So here's the thing. If the fellas and lovely ladies are struggling to become gatekeepers at Fox News, and you know for every one thing from Tucker and Laura Ingram they couldn't shut down, think about how many stories they did shut down. That's happening at Fox News I mean, what do you think the newsrooms look like at NPR, CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, NBC? I mean, they're the fellas. They're not doing, you know, they're not really doing these 300 people on a phone call to the boss to talk about how the fellas and lovely ladies are not being treated well enough on their network. No, if they have a conference call, it's mostly to say, listen, we've only got 30% black people working here. It should be 90%. When are you going to get it up to 90%? And the bosses always go, oh, man, we're sorry. We've been trying our head really hard. Oh, by the way, at Cisco, yeah, the same outfit that's firing people for their racist attitudes. How many black people do you think work at Cisco? Well, there was a case, I think it was... I think it was YouTube or Google or even Facebook. 
and they were sued. Somebody did a class action, some fellow, group of fellows did like a class action lawsuit against them, saying that, um, hey, you guys aren't hiring enough black people. That is proof positive of racial discrimination. So give me a whole bunch of money right now. The Facebook, remember the same group that's telling us every day that we do not meet their racial standards. Facebook was saying, they, they refuse to answer certain questions under cross-examination about how they recruit black people. They've got like 1% black people working at Facebook. On a good day, maybe 2 or 3%. They said, well, how do you find them? They go, well, that's a trade secret. We're not going to answer that question. The competition for even semi-qualified black people is so intense, these guys are ready to declare it a trade secret and keep it under lock and key so nobody will figure out how they are attracting the few qualified black people that are out there. And now we get the people at Fox you know, telling their story of uh, relentless victimization. Man, it's almost like one of these old Broadway plays. Lord... You don't know the trouble I've seen. I mean, isn't there one workplace in America where the fellas and lovely ladies are not combining to talk about how they are the victims of white racism? Not one. Not one. Nobody's figured it out. Or maybe they keep asking the wrong questions so they keep getting the wrong answers. The reason we don't have more black people at Cisco, Facebook, YouTube, Google, whatever, Apple, is because there aren't enough qualified black people to go around. Yeah, that's a plain fact. And the people who are qualified, they might not want to go party in your little cubicles. They might want to do something even more productive. All right, so here's the big question. Everybody's always saying, Colin, you got to get into the solution business. Solutions, Colin, solutions. Everybody wants you to have solutions. Okay, I'll break my rule. I'll do the causes and solutions. Here's a cause. I got this out of a black reporter from a black ABC affiliate in Philadelphia. The cause. Black people are crazy. The solution. I don't know. How do you cure crazy people? I don't know. Give them a bunch of... Drugs, I suppose. Let's hear this story out of Philadelphia where we learn that 40% of black men are crazy as $3 bills. From the disproportionate impact of the COVID-19 pandemic to the fight for equality following the death of George Floyd, 2020 has been challenging for the mental health of members of the black community. Now the numbers show anxiety is taking its toll. Action News community journalist Ashley Johnson spoke to a group of black men and a psychologist who has advice for those seeking help. It's been a heart-wrenching outlook now halfway through 2020. COVID-19 testing still a major priority, especially pressing for the black community. And the fight against injustice and police brutality still fresh. You know, black men, we really don't have the opportunity to say we're not okay. I feel anxiety every day. Um, I just realized that my depression is kind of deeper than what I really thought it was. There's days when I just want to end it all because I don't want this burden. 
Kyle, Taj, and Michael are all friends and mentors who hope by being real with their feelings inspires others. The group speaks to why a recent U.S. Census Bureau survey finds 41% of blacks report significant mental health concerns directly related to the disproportionate rate the coronavirus has had on blacks and the killing of George Floyd. I can't relax. Why is it so hard for the black man to relax? So when you're saying self-care, that's a lot of work for a black man to do. I took this up with America's psychologist, Dr. Jeffrey Gardier. On social media, I've seen a lot of people say that they are mentally exhausted, but how does someone know when they need to seek professional help? Uh, where it's turning into some sort of a clinical depression, where you're completely exhausted. I think it's important uh, for people of color to absolutely understand that telepsychology and other forms of therapy are out there for them. Therapy saved my life and, and so did you, bro. And, and people need to see this. And even this strong group of black men admits mental health is a struggle, but say it starts by being free to say you're not okay. I'm crazy for entertaining your baloney. for dealing with you. I knew your mainstream news is unwanted. And each day you'll lie till your face turns dark You're worried You sure cut that man off in a hurry Oh no Cut the man off You're blundering What in the world We talked about that before in my books and on these podcasts. But if you look up black mental health on the Grio or Root or HuffPo Black Voices or lots and lots of other black websites, if it's a place where they think white people aren't really paying attention, they'll tell you, yeah, yeah, we got a lot of crazy black people out there doing a lot of crazy things. Hmm. I wonder, is that the reason why Cisco won't hire more black people? 40% of black men are crazy? Okay, here's a dude down in South Carolina, where is this? 
This is Indiana. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, here's the story. But this is weird because it resembles a story that happened in Delaware about a month or so ago. A fella in Delaware goes into a veteran's graveyard, goes, sneaks up behind a couple in their mid-80s visiting their veteran son's grave. Comes up behind him, shoots them both in the head. Fella killed two old white people. Now, basically, the same thing just happened. A fella goes into a graveyard, sees two white dudes in there working on the graveyard. He starts shooting at them, killed one. Now, wait till you hear the local public official talk about how, well, people say this is racially motivated. That's crazy. See, we don't use the word racially motivated. That's a straw man. No, what we're, we do say is, this is part of a pattern, overwhelming pattern of black-on-white violence, mayhem, murder. Yeah, that's a pattern. And as Senator Whitehouse of Rhode Island said during the Kavanaugh hearings, pattern is proof of bias. And this is an overwhelming pattern. Oh, plus, they said the guy is crazy. Developing tonight, we're learning much more about the history of a man who randomly opened fire on two men in Brownsburg. Let's turn now to News 8's Travis Robinson. Uh, Travis, what have you learned about th that suspect's mental health? Well, they're saying mental health is the reason behind all this. They're saying that they wouldn't go into details on his mental health, but they've, they've got enough evidence before talking to his parents to draw these conclusions. 22-year-old Joshua Christopher Hayes randomly shot at two men working in Brownsburg Cemetery. Hayes chased one of them, 36-year-old Seth Robertson, to a nearby intersection. That's where Hayes killed Robertson. Hayes then chased after the second man and shot a third who was stopped at a traffic light in the process. But victim number three was legally armed and shot and killed Hayes. This tragic event could have been much more disastrous. So. Victim three not only saved victim two's life, but he saved potentially the lives of many others. Victim three did exactly what anybody would have wanted him to do at that scene that day. Even one homicide is an abnormality in Brownsburg. So this received a lot of attention online. Police say misinformed rumors spread quickly on social media about a second gunman on the loose. They say there were also numerous posts jumping to conclusions about the shooting being racially motivated. I was being provided screenshots of social media posts prior to mine even arriving on the scene. So it played a huge role. Um, a lot of misinformation was out there. Yeah. Police met with Hayes' family to find out the real reason he started shooting. That is, that is part of what uh, led us to I exactly understand that there was a mental health component um, that was behind that we were already seeing in the investigation. However, I think the biggest thing that Mr. Hayes' family has expressed is that, you know, they want there to be a mental health awareness component to this. Um, they're, of course, devastated, but they're also devastated for the other victim. I don't know. Seems like once you got to put your, if you start looking at the world, looking at this black dysfunction with, through the lens of mental illness, well, it seems like lots of stories just keep showing up that fit into that lens very well. How about this city councilwoman from down in South Carolina, Darlington City? She didn't like the fact that the white cop was giving the all-powerful councilwoman of Darlington City a ticket because she couldn't, wasn't parking her car in the right place. Councilwoman Sheila Backus is accused of using racially charged language when speaking to a police officer. Reports say it happened during an incident last month. News 13's Maria DeBone is here right now to explain. 
According to a Darlington police report obtained by News 13, an officer was handling parking enforcement duties on June 17th. That's when reports say Councilwoman Backus approached the officer. Reports say Councilwoman Backus asked the officer what was going on. When the officer explained the parking violation, Backus reportedly questioned him, saying, Why are you harassing us? The officer said they told Backus to contact the Darlington police chief if she had a problem with it. Backus is said to have called the chief, and then the officer said, quote, he, she said to the officer, quote, take your white self back to the white neighborhood. You're probably the kind that would shoot us in the back, end quote. News 13 reached out to Backus for a comment several times, but we have not yet heard back. Count on News 13 for updates. Reporting in studio. I don't know, maybe the cop's crazy. Didn't he know that crime is the new black entitlement, even small crimes? That sounded like that guy down in Jackson, Mississippi, right? That city councilman? When the, the cops were chasing black criminals into 80% black Jackson, Mississippi, they'd be out in the surrounding white neighborhoods robbing, pillaging, looting, get in their car, race back to Jackson and try to blend into the black community. Well, the cops would just go right in there and chase them and grab them and pull them out. Black city councilman said, no, we don't want those white cops coming into our town to arrest our children, our black children. And if they come in again, we're going to start throwing rocks and bricks and bottles at them. You guys remember that? I'm starting to think that white cops, white people are not really that welcome around the fellas and lovely ladies. Is that just a natural thing or is that the sign of some kind of mental derangement? How about Stone Mountain? Remember Stone Mountain a couple weeks, July the 4th, while the mountain, the Monument Militia and I, we were up in Gettysburg in case we were needed to stop Black Lives Matter and Antifa from destroying flags, burning flags and destroying monuments. There was a bunch of guys, black guys, that went to Stone Mountain, Georgia, 200 of them, all dressed in a black clothing that could pass for a uniform. A lot of them had high-power weapons. They looked like a paramilitary group. We didn't know much about them other than they called themselves NFAC. Now listen to Mr. NFAC, the head of Mr. NFAC, which stands for the Not Fucking Around Corps or Club. Yeah, that's what it stands for. Listen to him explain as to why their group was in the streets with 200 guys, fellas, with high-powered weapons and what their goal is. The whole nine yards and then become the backbone for become the backbone for the military for a new black nation. What is the solution to all of this? And that's the last the solution is very simple. We follow a declaration of, of liberation, declaring every African-American descendant of slavery, a political prisoner here in the United States. And that was affected by the Portuguese slave trade. And then after that. The United States has a choice. Either A, carve us a piece of land out here, we'll take Texas and let us do our own thing, or don't stop us when we exit this body here and go somewhere where they will give us our own land to build our own nation. What is your name and what is the... I'm the official Grandmaster Jay. I created the NFAC. All right, and how long have the organization been in existence? We don't give that information out. Just how we'll tell you this, we're all ex-military. We're all very disciplined. We're all expert shooters. We don't want to talk no more. We don't want to negotiate. We don't want to sing songs. We don't bring signs to a gunfight. We're an eye for an eye organization. So when they decide to act right, we'll decide to act right. And we do it all legally, just like they do. Thank you so much. Thank sir. you Appreciate so much, sir. Wow. So he either wants a big chunk of the United States 
Or he, did he say he wanted to go somewhere else and get that chunk? Hell, Ghana's been begging black people to go down there. They're begging Americans to go down there. Black people, black Americans. I don't know why he has to, you know, get all angry about it. Just get yourself a plane ticket, go to Ghana, and, uh, you know, you'll be the king of the world down there. What's wrong with that? Oh, yeah, you are going to have, if you go to Ghana, they will expect you to work down there. All right, talking about crazy people, this is not a crazy guy. This is in my this is my clinical assessment. This could be a crazy chick, a black chick, democratic activist, Black Lives Matter activist. She decides she doesn't like black people. She doesn't like black people messing with white women. She doesn't like black women messing with white guys. And if they do that, that means you have tainted your melanin, which is the worst thing you can do in that bizarro upside-down universe where melanin produces empathy and produces superiority. And that's why white people hate black people because we fear uh, ethnic replacement, genetic replacement. Yeah, that's what black people say. Anyway, this chick went on a little riff about this. You guys tell me if this should be enough to get her a nice three-day pass at the funny farm. And then there's Heffa running against Ayanna Presley. This one here with the white husband. <sighs> At some point, we're going to have to have a conversation with black folks who get in a relationship with white folks and then forget that they black. We're going to have to have that conversation. And I know it's going to fuck with y'all nerves. It's going to be uncomfortable. But we're going to have to have that conversation because if white vagina and white penises jeopardize your melanin then we need you to sit in the back of the classroom and this ain't your part of the show and you don't get to talk right now and so you practice some self-love know your history and realize where the fuck you came from this ain't your part of the show we need you to sit in the back i need all the people that understand what it is to wake up black regardless of how many educated gang symbols you have at the end of your name regardless of how close in proximity you are to white supremacy regardless of how many white penises you ride and I ain't mad at you, sis, because if you riding that motherfucker for a credit score, get you that house, boo. Get your 40 acres in your mule. Just don't forget that you's a nigga. Haitian black man. But I get it. He living in Utah. He getting pink, pink uncooked vagina. I get it. I get it. What I need you to do, though, is keep your mouth shut on black shit if you ain't ready to be black. That's what I need you to do. I need you to shut the fuck up. Tomorrow and be disrespectful and I'll be damned if I let this 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 melanin adjacent woman whose proximity to white supremacy is so disgusting right um be disrespectful to our congresswoman because white folks have convinced her that they, she been drinking the water. I don't. I don't know. I just white folks have convinced her that she was better. I don't know. She was one of those. Um, she's an exceptional Negro. Is that what it is? Uh, she she crossed county lines to disrespect a white woman. Malcolm X would have blew somebody's fucking head off. Oh no, we're just getting started on this magical mystery tour of insanity. How about we get into some real insanity? Here's a here's a story about a thirty year old. 32-year-old guy who's a Bengali, which I take to mean he's kind of of Indian descent. They lived in Saudi. Then um, um, 
They, their family moved here. This kid became a computer whiz, 32 years old. He invented all these apps, making all this money. He went out and hired himself a personal assistant, a 21-year-old fella from a little country called Nigeria. Soon after hiring, he discovered the fella had stolen about $140,000 from him. So, did he pick up the phone, call the police, and say, hey, get over here and... Get over here and arrest this fella. He just stole a 21-year-old fella. He just stole 140 grand. No, he called the fella in and he said, listen, I know you stole all that money from me. I want to work it out with you. I want to do restorative justice. I want, to, I want you to pay me back. Set up a payment schedule so you can pay me back $140,000. You, a 21-year-old dude from Nigeria. The dude from Nigeria said, hey, rather than pay you back with money I'll never have in my entire life. Why don't I get a taser and and zap you in, in conscious unconsciousness? Then why don't I get a knife and stab you and kill you? And then why don't I cut you up into little pieces so I can try to dispose the body out of this high rent condo you live in? This was in New York City. Just another story. This is basically black on Indian violence. A lot of that going around. Why don't we head down to uh, Charleston, South Carolina? Okay, you tell me if this sounds sane. A couple of fellas, 15, 16-year-old girl, met meet a couple in their early 60s. He's a retired teacher. She's a chancellor of a university, just moved to Charleston. Somebody said, oh, yeah, the fellas, it's cool. You can walk out there at 6 a.m. Nobody will bother you. Do your little power walk, get up, get ready for the day. Fellas came up, tried to rob them. And this is the story one day before the fe two fellows were arrested for this. Fellas came up, um, robbed them. The, 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 the white guy tried to fight him off. They killed him. He is dead. They're in jail. Somebody call good mental health professional. The deadly attempted robbery happened outside this King Street antique store. People who work inside say the early morning gunshots set off the alarm. I cannot imagine the pain and the suffering uh, to lose a loved one in such a sudden, tragic, horrific way. Um, and actually have to watch it. Charleston police say two suspects accosted CFC provost Suzanne Austin and her husband, Tom DeLorenzo. We're told DeLorenzo was shot during the confrontation. He was rushed to a nearby hospital where he died. So, you know, it hits you like literally a ton of bricks. City leaders call the crime unacceptable and tragic. It's just so sad. It's so senseless. It's so ridiculous. I mean, I'm told they were trying to do a holdup, and, and who's even carrying around any money at 6 o'clock in the morning? Nearby restaurant managers describe a shocking scene. Canine units, there were bullet casings, there was like four or five over here, they were taking pictures of some blood stains there on the corner. Logan Sholmes told us he drove up just after the gunfire. If I had met my guide that I got my fish and shellfish from on time, I would have been parked right here when he got shot right there. A neighbor who doesn't want to be identified says he came by as soon as he heard the news. There used to be what I would consider a common decency laws in Charleston that I see no longer exist. It's a tragedy that's hard to swallow. I don't even know what's next. Can't even like, it's just a day by day thing right now. Okay, here's somebody who's fit for the funny farm. 
Headline, man arrested for murder of DePaul University student. Black guy saw a fellow walking home from a Starbucks in a nice part of Chicago. Instead of just saying, hey, my brother, what's going on? Took a gun out, shot him, killed him, robbed him. Next. I want to go to Peoria, Illinois. Now, Peoria became kind of, well, if you're of a certain age, people remember Nixon used to have a saying, will it play in Peoria? Well, Peoria used to be the test market capital of the world. People would, Broadway plays, they would, they would, you know, practice on Broadway, pack up their bags, get a train to Peoria, play it in Peoria for a couple weeks, and see what the Peoria audiences thought of it. See if they were humming along with the songs. They were tapping their toes. They were crying at the right moments. Corporate America discovered Peoria shortly after that in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. This was the test market. This is where you took your new brand of toothpaste, your new kind of hair, hair products, all that stuff tested in Peoria. That was before Peoria became a chocolate dangerous city. Lots of stories about Peoria in my books, videos, and podcasts. Here's the latest. 13 injured in shooting incident on Peoria Riverfront. And, and there's a correction to the story. It goes, well, we want to make, correct something because the accepted definition of a mass shooting is four or more people. And we know 13 people got shot here, but we just don't know if one person is responsible for shooting at least four people. So we were premature in calling it a mass shooting. 13 people get shot at one party in one little town in the Midwest of the United States, and the paper wants to play semantical word games with us about whether it was a mass shooting or not. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of insanity to go around here, right? Not just 40% black people. I don't know what percentage of liberals are insane. I don't know. Is it 99.9%? Okay, here's another case of insanity. You guys, we talked about it. Some of you guys may have seen it. Boy, the insanity just runs all through this one. There was a cop, a high-ranking cop in New York. They're having a pro-cop demonstration on the Brooklyn Bridge. Some Black Lives Matter counter-protesters are marching out to confront them. A couple of cops intervene when one of the fellows broke the law. And while the cop is in a kind of a vulnerable situation. He gets punched in the face and somebody comes along with a stick and put, you know, bangs him on the head a bunch of times. Bloodied as hell. But here's what's crazy. That's the same cop that just a week or two before that had been doing the whole kneeling down with the fellas as a gesture of reconciliation. Because if you're nice to the fellas, any sane person would be nice back to you. Correct. He didn't give a crap this cop was kneeling down. They scorned at him. They laughed at him. Just like inmates at an asylum would laugh at any sane person trying to, trying to treat the inmates like sane people and not the nut jobs they were. That's only, that's, you know, the, the crazy part of the story hasn't even started yet. This is on video. They're beating the shit out of this cop. A high-ranking cop. Here's the headline. Man accused of punching NYPD chief and other cops on the Brooklyn Bridge was released without bail. No bail. Wait a minute. I thought this no bail thing was nonviolent. 
I thought the jails are full of nonviolent people. That's why we got to let them out all the time because they're nonviolent and we can't criminalize poverty. And Colin, why are you so, you know, why are you making up these fairy tales that we're, we're not going to let, you know, that we're, that we're going to give no bail to violent people too? I've been shouting that from the highest rooftops. The crazy people don't want to hear about it. Okay. Here's a, I'm going to give you the headline in case you want to see this story for yourself. It's out of the Houston, out of Houston. No, no it's WPXI.com, Channel 11. This might be a New York station, but it's a, it's a story out of Houston. Suspect punches an 83-year-old man and steals his car. Okay. On this crazy scale, that's pretty crazy. It's a, the, guy, the, the white guy, old white guy, goes into the gas station to leaves his key in the car, goes into the gas station to pick up some stuff, comes out. There's a fella in his car getting ready to drive it away. The old white dude gets in front of the car and says, Stop. On video, you see the fella run the old 83-year-old dude over with a car. Is that the act of a rational person? Is this an isolated thing to Houston? Is it an isolated thing to that one guy? Or is this part of a larger pattern of black on senior violence that we see constantly that everybody is in denial, deceit, and delusion about because people like the people in that Fox conference call who are protecting and spreading the greatest lie of this generation, the hoax of black victimization and white racism. Oh man, just blown by so many stories here. The ones I'm blowing by, even they would be like great stories. Okay, here's a crazy story. We did the part one of this crazy story. This, uh, this is out of Breitbart by a guy named John Nolte. Three sexual assaults in this neighborhood of Minneapolis after Minnesota neighborhood rejects the cops. So the story was the, the liberals in this neighborhood, they were so freaked out about calling the cops on black people because, you know, they were all, you know, they were morally superior to the rest of us. They looked, got us together and said, no, we're not going to call the cops on black people anymore because it's just not fair because they're not really the perps. They're the victims of our racism. They said this. Next thing you know, somebody's getting raped. Next thing you know, a relative of the rape victim who called the cops said, uh, yeah, I'm, now I'm sorry I called the cops because we know the black, that got, black guy could have been killed. And now everything that was bad about that scene, there was like 300 black, 300 black uh, homeless people, mostly black, in their park. Lots and lots of crime and violence in their neighborhood. Lots of trash. Well, everything that was bad then is now three times bad a month later. 600 black people in the park, homeless. Burglaries, way up. Two more sexual assaults. And the people in this Minneapolis neighborhood are just insisting that everybody's misunderstood them. They misunderstood. The, they misunderstand the crime going on in their neighborhood. It's not a black thing. It's just a, a universal thing. Well, if somebody wanted to tell me white people do it too, I'd say at this point, oh yeah, they do. Those white people do it too. And what they're doing too is they're acting like crazy people. All right, let's hit the backstretch with this final i'll say warning shot this is a cop that could be speaking for 
tens of, you know, there's a million cops in this country. He could be speaking for tens of thousands of cops today. Cop in Columbus, Ohio, who basically said, hey, I'm done. Done. Can't do it anymore. It's going to cost me a lot of money to retire earlier. I can't do it anymore. And anybody who knows anything about Columbus, Ohio, knows that every single example he's talking about of the abuse, the hostility towards cops, the resentment and violence towards cops, the scorn towards cops, and the resulting danger it is to other people in the neighborhoods because the cops aren't responding the way they used to. People know in Columbus, that is a black thing. No holding back. A Columbus police sergeant who just retired for reasons ranging from the protest to the leadership is talking only to ABC6 about turning in his badge. Six on your side investigator Tara Morgan sat down with the retired officer to talk about the protests, the riots, and what he thinks about the people in charge now pushing reform. You're not going to have to dismantle the police department. We're going to leave on our own. It isn't how he wanted it to end. You're done. I'm done. The 4th of July was truly my Independence Day. Trent Taylor retired from the Columbus Division of Police July 3rd after 26 years, two years earlier than he intended. And when I went to personnel and I took that badge off and I set it on the counter and I slid it across, it was a very humbling moment. Um, but I was waiting in line to turn my stuff in. <clears throat> Taylor's eyes watered at times when he opened up to me about his career, the men and women with whom he served, and his final weeks in uniform. When protests and riots consumed the city after the death of George Floyd. You had the peaceful protesters that were there with with good message. Um, they were doing everything that we asked them to do. They were peaceful, they were respectful, um, their voices were heard, and then it got dark, and then the thugs came out. And all they did was loot, riot, pillage, burn the place down. During the first two weekends, Taylor says he and his partner helped record drivers clear out cars parked illegally on High Street. They were illegally parked, but at the same time, uh, the rioters that were throwing bottles and rocks at us used those vehicles as coverage. What was the tipping point? This past four weeks has been difficult to watch. Um, you know, when these riots uh, started, I watched my fellow officers taking rocks and bottles and uh, watched this go on for three or four weeks with little to no uh, recourse. Taylor, an Air Force veteran who served in the first Gulf War, had many roles within CPD, from frontline supervisor to vice and child abuse detective. Probably spent four years investigating allegations of physical abuse, many of which were children of color. There were times when I went home in tears because I couldn't help them. <clears throat> so for your mayor and your city council to stand up on their podium every day and call us all racists, uh, that's unexcusable. A news release dated May 29th from Mayor Ginther's office stated racism exists in the Columbus Division of Police, that Chief Quinlan was working to eliminate it from the ranks. Jaylove Benton, a member of Quinlan's new advisory panel, suggested in a statement to us the removal or resignation of Quinlan if the culture of the police and the policies that uphold racism and racist behavior doesn't change. 
It's absolutely false. Come out and do a ride along with us. Hang out with us, get to know us. Come find out what our SWAT guys do, what our helicopter guys do, our canines, our horses do. You'll find out. But they're not interested in that. Doesn't serve their political agenda. Your thoughts on Ginther? <laughs> I don't know the man personally, but I have zero respect for him. How do you view Chief Quinlan? I think he's a good man deep down, but he's on probation right now. He's going to do everything the mayor tells him to do. Taylor says he wasn't the only officer who felt this way. We had 11 officers retire last week alone. According to the Ohio Police and Fire Pension Fund, there have been 32 retirements from January through June 13th. That's compared to 37 about the same time last year. More recent numbers aren't yet available. You know, Taylor says officers are given opportunities for an exit interview. But he didn't see the point with the problem at the top. Our morale has never been at a lower point than it is right now. Taylor predicts more officers will cut short their careers over the next six months. You're going to see a lot of retirements. I don't see Chief Quinlan making it six months. It'll be somebody else. But it won't matter because they'll do whatever Mayor Ginther wants them to do. In turning in his badge, Taylor left a lot of money on the table, some of which he would have put toward his daughter's college tuition. Approximately $400,000 I'm losing. Taylor was in the Drop or Deferred Retirement Option Program in which officers can work past their normal retirement eligibility of 25 years. It's not worth the, the strife. It's not worth, you know, it's not worth it. It's not worth the damage it's doing to the home life, your marriage, your relationship with your kids. He says he has no regrets for leaving, not just a career, but what he considers a calling. I joined the police department because I wanted to help people. I still do. Um, I serve with honor and respect. Tara Morgan, six on your side. So there you have it. We have one example of sanity at the very beginning. You know, it's an example of sanity at the end, come to think of it. That white cop who was retiring was doing what any sane person would do. Why would you subject yourself to this credible level of hostility, harassment, violence, and worse if you're a white cop in Columbus? I mean, why would you do it? Why and why? Because knowing that the city council and the mayor basically believe, agrees with the people who hate you and would do you harm. Why would you go to work for a boss who hates you and would have you harmed? Why would any sane person do that? They wouldn't. No matter how determined they were not to make the black kids angry. I'm leaving Kansas City. Kansas City, I am done. I am done. I am done. We're living here is shitty. Time to pack my bags and run. Super shitty, pack and run. They got too many lovely ladies there, and I'm gonna get a gun. Get a gun, everyone. I was standing on the corner of 12th Street and Vine. Are you out of your mind? I said hello to a fella thinking everything was fine No, it's not just fine Well, he beat me with the chain because I'm white And that's the bottom line All because you are white Well, you might take a train if you love the pain 
If you lose your laptop, you're the only one to blame. I'm leaving Kansas City. Just use this rule of thumb, rule of thumb, rule of thumb. And if there's way too many fellas there, then I'm not that effing dumb. Use this rule of thumb, use this rule of thumb. If there's way too many fellas there, then I'm not that effing dumb. If there's way too many fellas there, then I'm not that effing dumb. And if there's way too many fellas there, then I'm not that effing dumb.